Welcome, 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 geeks and nerds, girls and boys, to a brand new edition of geek to me Radio. Today we are joined by prolific writer J.M. DeMatteis talking all about his new project, Deathstroke, Knights and Dragons. We'll also talk about some of his other items in his career. We'll get into all that and more. Stand by. For those of you who have just stumbled upon us for the first time, welcome to you. My name is James Enstall. I'm the host of geek to me Radio, bringing you a brand new episode each week with a special guest, be it a creator, author, writer, illustrator, celebrity, who knows? But today we've got a friend of the show who's been on once before. We've met him a couple times. Uh, you'll know his work if you've picked up a comic book or seen an episode or an animated series from DC Comics in the past couple of decades, and we're going to go right to him. Right now we're talking with uh, just prolific author J.M. DeMatteis talking about uh, many of his projects, Deathstroke, Knights, and Dragons, now available from WB Home Entertainment, uh, and several of his other projects as well. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. Thanks uh, for being on the show again. This is the second time I've had you, and I actually... Got the chance to meet you a couple times now at, I think, uh, GalaxyCon Richmond and I want to say GalaxyCon Louisville. Yeah, last year there were a lot of GalaxyCons. They all kind of <laughs> blended into one for me. <laughs> and now we're not having any uh, conventions at I all. I know. It's, it's been... a strange thing. It's, I, 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 I was thinking today, you know, because b- being a writer, uh, being someone who is very much of a homebody and I, and I work at home and my life is very centered around the home – Going to these conventions um, is a way for my for my wife and I to, to travel, go to new cities, you know, have a little adventure, see some friends, and so since that's shut down, that you know, this shuts down a whole avenue, basically an avenue of fun in our lives. Yeah, and um, so uh, so it's just it's just uh, me and my imagination more often than not these days. <laughs> and I met your wife, I think. I think she was at Richmond with you, and she was uh, selling your prints. Very lovely woman. It was uh, nice to meet yeah. her as well. She, come, she comes with me to most of, most of the shows, and if, and if it's not her, I make sure one of my kids is there with me. And have you been doing many of the online? I know the people are trying to take these virtual cons and everything online. Have you participated in any of those? You know, I did one a couple of months ago, right when this all started, and I forget which one it was, but it was for charity. So it was okay. In fact, I think I did a couple of them, you know, these, I, I'm sorry, but sometimes these things just all blend into one in sure. my head. It's like, who was I talking to? And what was the convention? What was this? Yeah. But, um, no, I haven't done any recently. I haven't done it recently, but, uh, uh, one thing I am thinking of doing because of the lockdown is, is, uh, to bring my imagination one-on-one writing workshop, 
online, and I'm working with a brand-new site that's called comicsplex.com, and they're going to host my workshop. We're putting all the, all the pieces together. We're hoping to get it up and running by November, and if so, there will be an announcement probably sometime in September about that to give people time to, to figure out their own schedules and such. And those workshops, I feel like, am I correct, you launched uh, those last fall, if I'm not mistaken? Oh, I've been doing these uh, for a number of years, actually. And um, and I, I don't do them often. Uh, and I did one the last last fall, which was the first time I'd done it in a few years. Maybe that's what you're thinking of. Okay. And and I had such a good time. I said, "Oh, I have to, I have to, uh, I have to do more. I have to do this more frequently." And then I had a, we have there's an Imagination 201, which the folks from 101, if they want to continue, can take. So we had a we had a we had a 201 scheduled uh, for I think it was for May, and of course that got wiped away. Mm. And I finally said, you know, uh, I've been putting it off for years trying to figure out a good way to do it online uh, that would serve me and serve the students the best. And so finally we're doing it. And I'm thinking, you know, if we can do it online and it works, I can do it more frequently. That's true. Um, and, and, and reach. I've been lucky. I've had people literally come from I've had people come from Mexico, Australia, Puerto Rico, all to come to take uh, my workshop tucked away in a little uh uh, a little office space in upstate New York, you know, so uh, I'm thinking by going online, we can reach people literally all around the world if they if they want to take this workshop because there's no you have to worry about getting on a plane and staying right. in a hotel and and paying for your meals or all that stuff. You just be home and we'll do it. So I'm, I'm very excited about the prospect of, of bringing this online. And as soon as we have it, have the dates worked out, I will announce that on my website. I'll announce it on Twitter and Facebook and uh any place else I am. <laughs> I'll announce it to my wife when I wake up in the morning. <laughs> and with the, with everything transitioning online, because obviously we've kind of had to find a new way to live our lives, and yeah. the Zoom and the conference calls and the Skypes have been a godsend. Can you imagine if this pandemic had hit 10 years ago, we wouldn't have had yeah, I was talking. I was talking to some friends about that. You know, we, we, we are, as much as, as the online culture can drive us crazy and be annoying, we are so fortunate right now. Because, you know, even 10 or 15 years ago, just what you're saying, um, we would really be – it would be a whole other thing. And I think I think our collective anxiety and depression would be even higher right now if we didn't have the ability to reach out to each other and see each other. Yeah. You know, uh, my son lives in Atlanta. Um, I, at least I get to see him. There's not a chance of us seeing each other physically for quite some time, which makes me – very sad to say the least. Um, but I can see my son. I can see my daughter. We can see friends and relatives. And that's a great thing. That's a really great thing. And if these online workshops of your imagination 101 take off, do you foresee it being something where you would not go back to doing them in person or would it be not as often? How would that kind of work if the online thing really takes off? Right. Well, the truth is uh, I didn't do the, the in-person ones often enough. They were a special thing. I, I would get the urge. We'd, we'd put it together and then we would do one. Um, so um, I probably would still want to do some in-person workshops just because there's still something to be said for sitting in a room with people and making that human connection face to face. Yeah. You know, I, I keep the workshop small too, usually no more than 10 people. And I'm thinking the same for the online thing, maybe no more than 10 or 12 people for the online workshop. So everyone has a chance to really interact. So to sit in a room together, uh, for a weekend face to face is a very intimate thing, you know? 
And what we're going to do, I think, with the online workshop is we're going to spread it out over the course of two weekends, a Saturday and a Sunday, then the next Saturday and Sunday, uh, with time in between for people to work on things and send me their work. And then after the second weekend, they'll, we'll have a final project that they'll send me and I will, I will comment on. So, um, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be fun. I'm, I'm excited. And as, as often happens with new things, I'm a little anxious about it. Sure. But that, that usually means it's a good thing. If you start to get a little scared about it, it's usually a good thing. <laughs> and what, type of people are taking these are you finding are they they want to become writers are they just kind of like uh this I, i'd like to learn more are there any experienced writers who want to up their game is it kind of run the gamut you know some of what i've seen is uh people that say in their 30s and 40s who really really wanted to do this in their lives and then they got sucked into the grown-up world and they kind of lost track of their creative self and so they kind of come back to 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 get that flame of inspiration lit in them. But I've also had a number of of young people, people in their late teens and their early twenties, um, who who want to set out on this path. You know, so it's 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 really a nice mixture. And and occasionally, I think you know, every once in a while, I, I, it's someone who just loves comics and wants to know, uh, as they say, how the sausage is made. <laughs> and they're not they're not necessarily aspiring to go out and do anything. Huh. Except to imbibe this information for their own uh, for their own wisdom, you know. But uh, but mostly these are just creative people who are looking for that extra spark to get them going to for that information that maybe that they don't have. Because uh, we talk about the whole writing process, we talk about the nuts and bolts and the practical stuff. But a lot of what writing is is really kind of magical and metaphysical and mystical, and we get into all of that too. Uh, and it's really fun. And we and we end it with uh, after we've discussed all this stuff for the course of the weekend, or in the case of the online workshop, it'll be really uh, the first two weekends. But the last session, we all sit together and we create a story from a ground from the ground up as a group. Hmm. which is really, really fun. And then everyone goes off and writes their version of that story and they send it to me afterwards. Huh, and I, crit I critique it. It, was really, it is. It's really, really fun. Whereas the 201, the follow-up is very, very writing heavy and writing intensive. It's an extra day and, and people come in and they pitch their story and we discuss it and we dissect it and they go off and they work and they spend most of the, work, uh, the weekend uh, writing, but I'm there the whole time. So every question they have, I'm there to answer, you know, so that's a, that's a different animal, the, the 201, but they're both really, really fun. And, and, and I always learn something new because people ask me questions about the process and, and I do this, I've been doing it so long, it's really intuitive. So when I get challenged with these questions, I have to think about what I do in a new way. Hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm teaching them, but I'm also learning, which is really fun. And I think if I'm not mistaken, they can be, uh, these, Courses can be looked at on your website. It's just your name, jmdimateus.com. That's correct. And, and there's a, right. You, you did your homework. It's all there. Thank you. Yeah. Thank and, you. And there's still slots available. You said it's coming up. You're gearing up. For oh, yeah. I haven't, even I haven't even announced it yet. Oh, so perfect. No one, there's no one signed up or anything. I, it has not yet been, been announced. So hopefully within the next, I hope in the next three weeks we'll have an announcement. And if all goes well, we'll do this in November. And if there's a problem, well, maybe we'll bump it to December. But, um, but I'm hoping I'm hoping for the fall. Yeah, perfect. And obviously, you stayed very busy since last we spoke. Uh, we mentioned at the very beginning, Deathstroke, Knights and Dragons, uh, along with Superman, Red Sun, two projects you've now done since the last time we spoke. 
both right. animated movies. You and I talked about this last time. DC's animated movies just knock it out of the park for me every time. And I know uh, Superman Red Sun was no exception. I've not yet seen Knights and Dragons, but kudos on Superman Red Sun. And I'm very excited for Deathstroke. Yeah, thank you. Deathstroke just came out the other day. Yeah. Uh, came out for streaming, I guess, about a week or so ago, but it came out on the, the DVD Blu-ray. Uh, I think it was Wednesday. So that's that's brand new. It's it just came out there, and it was and it's a it's a it's a standalone Deathstroke story. It's a Deathstroke story. If you've never heard of Deathstroke, I mean, obviously, if you've heard of Deathstroke, you will want to watch it. But I'm saying my point is that if you haven't heard of Deathstroke, you can walk into this story and treat it as if you know this is this is your introduction to the character. It's not an adaptation of one particular Deathstroke story. You know, some of these animated movies there were adapting a specific storyline. This is not that I read, you know, I read through a, ba- a bunch of different Deathstroke stories and I thought, well, there's a cool idea there. There is a cool idea there. And then I kind of wove it together and created my own story out of that. And, um, and I think it turned out well. You know, I, I'm sometimes I'm the least objective person <laughs> when it comes to my own work, but I think it turned out well. They have a great a voice cast led by Michael Chiklis, yeah, uh, as as Deathstroke, which is wonderful casting. Uh, I'm always blown away by the casting for these things. I mean, the casting in Red Sun with uh, Jason Isaacs, uh, Jason Isaacs, not Jason. Well, Let's try that again. Jason Isaacs, who's one of my favorite actors, even though I mangled his name, uh, as Superman, and just the whole the whole cast was just phenomenal. And I'm always I'm always so impressed with the directing, with the voice cast, with you know I'm sitting there writing a script and I'm watching this movie unfold in my head, and then the director takes it and the vo- and the voice uh, the voice director takes it and they bring it to levels that that you know I see the finished product, and and I'm always surprised and. Generally, ninety nine percent of the time, delighted by what I see. And they again, they've always got great voice cast. We've actually had on this uh, show every single one of the members of the the main seven from the Justice League animated series. Oh, really? We've oh, had Carl great. Lumley. We've had George. We've even had Andrea on the show a few times. But when you, when you're writing these and you're starting a new animated project, like let's say Superman Red Sun, in the back of your mind, are you are you are you hearing George Newbern or Tim Daly's voice and then you hear the another voice and be like, oh, I didn't expect that, but that's a really cool sounding voice or do you just kind of not have those voices in your head at all when you're writing? We'll take our first break, come back and chat more with J.M. DeMatteis right after this, so please stand by. Hi, this is George Newbern, the voice of Superman. You are listening to Geek to Me Radio. Welcome back to Geek to Me Radio. Uh, if you're anything like me, you have missed the movies. COVID has been uh, obviously rough for so many reasons, but one of the things, the creature comforts, I guess, if you will, is I missed going to the movies. It's it's great to be able to watch these things from your home. I'm glad we had all these back catalogs and streaming services. But it's not the same as having that let's go to the movie experience. I've talked about this with friends. I've gone to see movies with a couple of friends now who have been dying to go. And it's been a great experience for everyone with just getting the popcorn and sitting in the dark room with uh, socially distanced from our people around us. But it's just nothing beats that kind of atmosphere. And nobody brings it to you like Marcus Theaters. You can go to the website MarcusTheaters.com to check 
which locations are open near you. Uh, they've got all sorts of safety precautions in place. We just had Brett Hoffman on the show a couple weeks ago talking about all the, the precautions that Marcus has taken to make sure that they have opened up responsibly, that it's a safe experience for everyone who is coming back and all the people who are working in the theater still. And if you haven't gotten out to see a movie yet, there's Tenet, uh, there's the New Mutants, there's uh, we're looking forward to the James Bond movie, No Time to Die here, just in November. It feels like it's right around the corner. And there's never been a better time to go to the movies, especially we've been hanging on, waiting for this to happen. A lot of movies have postponed to 2021, but there are movies to be seen. Again, I encourage you to go to the website, MarcusTheaters.com, find a movie playing See which one you want to do. Get your tickets right there in line. You can even use the app, the Marcus Theaters app you can download. And you can get your concessions through the app for a contactless movie experience. It's all safe. It's all great. And it's something I really, really missed. MarcusTheaters.com is that website. And I hope you have a great time at the movies. Before we took that first break, we were talking with J.M. DiMatteis about uh, when he writes these scripts for some of these animated features if he hears certain voices in his head like if he's doing superman does he hear tim daly or george newburn here's what he had to say about that yeah i don't usually have those voices in my head i usually have my own my own voices (laughs) you know i'm a writer i live with my own voices in my head anyway so they they provide that they provide the dialogue (laughs) readings for me um you know occasionally like you know when i worked when i worked on constantine city of demons and i knew matt ryan he's constantine he's going to be so you're writing that dialogue and you're hearing Matt Ryan in your head because you know most of these movies, I don't know when I'm writing it, what the cast is going to be. Hmm. So it's usually a surprise to me. And then like everyone else, you know, time goes by. I've turned in my script. They're working on it. They're directing and animating and doing all this and recording. And then there's an announcement. I go, oh, really? He's doing it? Oh, he's doing it? Oh, that's fantastic. She's doing it? Isn't that great? So I'm often surprised by these things. Um, you know, I'm on the East Coast. Most of this stuff uh, is done on the West Coast. So if I was in the on the West Coast, I could be there for the voice sessions and 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 things like that. But I am not usually there, so I don't usually get to to have that. So it's often a surprise to me, and it's always a, a great surprise because they're so well cast yeah. and so well acted. You know, these actors aren't slumming when they're doing this. You know, they take this stuff seriously and they do a great job. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned that you went back and reread some Deathstroke stories. I, I would think that someone who's been in the business as long as you have are familiar enough with these characters. Was this just to kind of go back and refresh yourself? Or were you kind of wanting to cherry pick some ideas as you're writing the screenplay for Deathstroke Knights and Dragons? What was the process like in, as you said, researching the stories? Well, the truth of the matter is, you know, I, I don't know every character inside and out. There's a lot that I know, obviously, because I've done this a long time and written a lot of characters. But Deathstroke was a character where I knew who I knew Deathstroke. I knew he existed. I knew the basic idea of Deathstroke, but but I was not intimately familiar with the character. You know, I certainly remember his appearances in Teen Titans back in the day, but it's not a character that I followed or that I knew intimately. So so getting this material to read and really honestly using Wikipedia as well, um, you know, to dig up every little piece of information and every supporting cast character, to look through them to see who I wanted to use. Um, so, so that was very enlightening. And what I tumbled to and what really, really excited me about the character, I mean, on the one level, yeah, it's the super assassin and that whole thing, which, you know, that's, that, that's, that supplies the action. But I'm always looking for what's beneath the action. And what's, what, you know, for me, what the, his story is really about is about family. Mm-hmm. And a massively dysfunctional family. 
And that's underneath the sort of uh, James Bondian uh, super spy, super assassin action. That's what the story is about. I say it's like it's like the worst divorce story ever told. <laughs> you know, it's it's a family that's a, there's a horrible divorce, and, the, and there's a mess with the wife, and there's a mess with the kids, and he's he's and he's trying in his own way to put it back together. Uh, while really, you know, it's it's also for him, it's a journey from who he thinks he is uh, to who he has to come to grips with about who he really is. Um, because his his image of himself versus who he has become as Deathstroke are two different things. And that's part of his journey in this story. And it's very interesting because a character like that, um, he's not, I guess what you would say is a true villain, like if you take a Lex Luthor or something like that. And he's obviously been written, he had his own, I think, 52-issue run as in a miniseries uh, written by right. Marv Wolfman as kind of an anti-hero, Punisher type. Is that right. kind of where we see him? Or, or do you, was it your attempt or desire to make him more uh, emotionally relatable? Well, I hope that he's emotionally relatable because of his flaws, because of the fact that he doesn't. What, what makes him more emotionally relatable is the family. The way I played it is this is a man essentially with two faces. Uh, when it begins, he's still married. He's the family man. He, he's, got, he's got his little son. And yet he's being deathstroke. And his, you know, he's hidden this life from his wife. They think he's a successful businessman traveling the world on business. Um, so he's, 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 he's this kind of schizoid, uh, the schizoid thing where, where he's playing one role with the family and then he becomes this other thing as Deathstroke. But even as Deathstroke, he's kind of schizoid because he's really, you know, a, an incredibly violent super mercenary who has killed a lot of people, but he sees himself. One of the reasons why it's called Knights and Dragons is because there's a book that he reads to his son, uh, who we see in the opening. So I don't give away too much. In the beginning, he's away, quote, on business, and he calls home, and his son, come on, Dad, please read me the book, you know. And so he travels with the book, so he could always read to his son over the phone. Hmm. And it's a tale. It's a tale of you know knights slaying dragons, and he, in his own way, I think, is a way to cope with what he really has become sees himself as a knight he's out in the world slaying dragons. Maybe he gets paid to do it, but he's, he's serving some sort of ultimate good. And part of the journey is his, him having to come to grips with the, the fact that what he does is a lot darker and uglier than the fairy tale that he's telling his son hmm. and that he's told himself. You know, That's just part of it, and I don't want to say too much more. Sure. But it's also a big globetrotting adventure. It, 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 you know, uh, it, it takes place in, in uh, several different time periods, and it's, I think it's a fun, interesting uh, story. At least I hope it is, and I hope people enjoy it. Well, based on your other work, I can't see why they would not, because everything else you've done has been stellar. So uh, mentioning Superman Red Sun, by the way, obviously that was a more of an adaptation directly from the graphic novel, whereas right. Deathstroke Knights and Dragons is kind of a tale of your own making. So my question is, does DC approach you, having been a proven deliverer on other projects, and say, hey, we want to do a Deathstroke thing. Can you pitch us something? Or or did you approach them about, hey, I've got this great idea for a Deathstroke story? We're going to take our next break and come back, continuing our conversation with J.M. DiMatteis. Stand by.
This is Andrea Romano. I happen to be the voice director for many animated series, including the Justice League. You are listening on geek to me Radio. We're back. We are back. We're back. Yes, we're back. geek to me Radio. I'm your host, James Enstall. My guest today, writer extraordinaire J.M. DeMatteis. And before we took that last break, we were, I just asked him, I didn't know if WB approaches him or if he pitches his ideas to WB Animation uh, when these kind of things happen. No, no, it's, it's never me approaching this. And it's not DC, it's, it's Warner Brothers Warner Animation. Brothers, sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which is a whole different thing and a whole different group of people that I work with. And actually, Deathstroke and Constantine are done through CW Seed, which is a whole other section. Uh, uh, so there's the regular Warner Brothers animation, which I, where I've done most of my work. And CW Seed, I'll, I'll just backtrack to explain that for people that don't know, it's a, it's a streaming app associated with uh, the CW network. So it's a lot of uh, old shows, and it's also a bunch of new content, including uh, a lot of DC animated content. That's how I did Constantine. And so what, what happens is, is I write the full-length movie, and then they break it up into chapters, and they stream it on seed. They'll put up – now, that what they'll do is they'll, they'll cut the whole thing down, so there'll be 15 or 20 minutes that you will never see on CW Seed. Hmm. And they'll, they'll play the first bunch of episodes, and what I'm seeing is they tend to wait X number of months, maybe six months after that plays. Then they release the DVD, which has that extra 20 minutes ah. of story – and then they wait, and then they play the rest of the episodes. So I always say to people, if you want to see it for free, minus about 15, 20 minutes, you can watch it on CW Seed. If you want the whole complete story, then go for the streaming slash Blu-ray, you know, the, the full-length movie. Um, and so that's what, that's what we did with both Constantine and, and Deathstroke. So, but in all these cases, it's usually I get a phone call, as I, as I just did uh, recently, uh, saying, hey, we're working on this. Would you be interested in, in coming on board and, and writing it? And um, and the answer is, unless I'm so booked with something else, the answer is always yes, because why would it be no? You know, right now, <laughs> you know, working on Superman Red Sun, I worked primarily with um, Jim Krieg and Bruce Timm. Uh, we're both the producers on that. Two, two really, really good guys who are also pretty damn brilliant about story. And, and on something like Superman Red Sun, which is a very, very rich story filled with just wonderful ideas popping out of every page, you know. But it's a story that in order to adapt it into an like 80-minute movie really needs to be tamed and streamlined. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you know, the fun of it for me is getting on the phone with with Jim and, and, and Bruce Tim and, and just peeling the story apart and putting it back together. And does this work? What about this? Do we include this? Do we leave this out? Do we add some things here that we feel that, you know, uh, in order for it to work as a movie, we need to add certain elements? Um, so that's, you know, what, what beats sitting on the phone with guys like that talking story? You probably it's, it's, record it's, that and sell the uh, sell the behind the scenes stuff. <laughs> you know what? That's what I'm doing next time. <laughs> but yeah, that Superman Red Sun that's that's a classic, and I know Supergirl on the CW did their own version of Red Sun featuring obviously Kara Zor-El instead right. of having Superman. That was I thought was really well done. Do you do you keep up with all the other? There, there's so much to keep up with. All the other uh, DC Warner Brothers, all the uh, comic book related shows and everything out there. I keep up with a bunch of them. I can't keep up with all of them or certain ones like, you know, I think, you know, Flash and Supergirl I watched for quite a few years. And then at a certain point, you know, you overdose on how much stuff you're watching and you have to kind of 
slice a few things off. So I haven't seen the most recent seasons of Flash and Supergirl. I probably watched the first three or four years of, of, of both of them. Uh, I've seen, you know, Legends of Tomorrow. I've watched on and off over the years. Um, I, I've seen a lot of this stuff, a bunch of the Marvel shows. Um, but, you, you know, it's almost impossible to keep up, keep really up with is. them. You know? Just recently, I, I, I watched the second season of uh, Umbrella Academy. Yes, that was great. Uh, which was really, it's a really fun show, really, really fun show. And now I just started watching, which I hadn't seen, uh, Doom Patrol. Oh, that's so good. And, you know, it's really interesting because Umbrella Academy and Doom Patrol almost feel like two different versions of the same show. <laughs> you know, the very a group of very strange, quirky characters with their very strange, quirky mentor. Um, and yet and yet they each have their own unique voice to it. So I'm waiting. I've only seen the first few episodes of Doom Patrol, so I haven't. I haven't come to any conclusions about it, but Umbrella Academy, I, I have, I have really enjoyed. And I think they're really fun characters and really well cast. Well, a wonderful group of actors. It's a really, it's a fun show. And that's like you said, there's no better time to have too much content to keep up with than while we're all locked down. I yes, know one of the things exactly. that's been another saving grace has been all the different shows that I've managed to see that I never thought I would have gotten to. Right. Right. And it's also a great time to kind of rewatch old shows that you love, you know? So when you're locked in and you're, does your creative process, has it, has it, uh, found a way to just really unleash? I mean, there's a lot more time on our hands. So obviously I would think as a writer, this is kind of a, a great time because you've got nothing to do but write. Or is it has not much changed as far as your actual creative work and your professional working writing stream? You know, in, in the, when the lockdown started, it actually, I think as we were adjusting, to this, to this, uh, I hate to use the word new, the phrase new normal, because I don't want this to ever be normal. Right. Um, but as I was adjusting to it, I think it kind of slowed me down a little bit. Hmm. Um, and what's happened over the course of these few months is that I just sort of said, okay, time to get back to work. So, and I'm now I'm very, very busy. Uh, I'm, I'm developing four different, uh, creator owned projects for comics. Hmm. Um, I am hopefully just about to start another animated movie for Warner Brothers. We're, we're, we're in the middle of talking about that right now, and I hope that comes through. I'm getting the workshop online. So um, it's sort of like you're right. Once once I sort of worked through that, that lethargy out of, oh, my God, what's happening to the world, you know? It, it's a little depressing, to say the least. <laughs> um and I realized, no, the, the best, you know, the best thing one can ever do if, if you're a creative person is just keep creating. So that's what I'm doing right now. And I'm very excited about all the new projects I'm developing. I'm working with some wonderful artists and excited about the workshop and, uh, and, uh, hopefully, uh, uh, launching another exciting, uh, Warner brothers, DC animated movie. And you've got the shorts you did too, for like, uh, Neil Gaiman's death. And you've got Adam strange. Are those, yes. are those trickier to write because they're, they're shorter ones. So they have to be self-contained, but I feel like those are almost those great bonus things where you buy a comic book like detective comics back in the day and there'd be an elongated man feature after the end. I feel like that's kind of like the realm they fall into. So I'm excited about them, but are they, are they challenging to write those at all? No, I didn't find them challenging. I found them a lot of fun. Um, they're, you know, they're, it's like two and a half. I don't know what they run. Maybe they run about somewhere between 20 and 25 minutes. I'm, uh, somewhere in there. So it's, they still give you a good length of time. If it's 20 minutes, that's a half hour show minus the commercial, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, so no, there it's, it's, it's very fun. I like self-contained stories, uh, shorter self-contained stories. When I do comics, 
I'd love to do, you know, it's great to do the big six issue epic, but I love doing one off stories. Beginning, you pick up your comic, beginning, middle, and end, you read it and you're done. Yeah. It's, there's a whole skill set to that. And it's something very satisfying about that, both as a writer and as a reader. And so the death story, for instance, um, it's the fir- it was the first time I believe that any of, of uh, that the death character appeared in any other uh, medium, which was a very cool thing. And we cooked uh, the, the Sam Liu, the director, wonderful director, who also directed Red Sun, had the germ of this idea. So me and Sam and again Jim Cree got on the phone and we bounced this story around. And what was wonderful about the death story was that um, we came up with a story that ended up being profoundly personal for all of us. You know, usually, you know, like I, I create a story. It's very personal to me. And but this was a story because it was about the artistic process. It's about a a painter who's really, really been through the mill in his creative life and in his personal life. And it was something that we all connected with and related to. So we all sort of poured a lot of ourselves into that. And it turned out like a, a really <clears throat> beautiful, finely tuned half hour Twilight Zone episode huh. starring death. You know, I'm very, very, I have to say that the, the, the I mean, I, I love all these projects. This death short is one of the best things I've ever worked on in, in animation. Um, I, I really just, it, it was some, something magical about that. Like I said, I'm, I'm proud of them all. It was, it was great fun to work on all these things, but every once in a while, something, you know, something clicks in a different way. And death was one of those projects that just, it just worked out so beautifully. And it's a, it's a very different kind of story. It's a very poetic story. It's a very emotional story. There's no superheroes in it. Nobody's dropping buildings on anybody's head. You know, there's really no no action in the way that we understand action in superhero comics. It's just like a great little Twilight Zone episode. Hmm. And you know, Twilight Zone is my favorite TV show of all time. So what a what a thrill it was to work on this thing. You know? Yeah. No, that's that the '60s Twilight Zone. That it's just incredible how well it holds up. Especially, it almost seems it's more relevant now than ever. Like monsters are due on Maple yes. Street and some of those. Yes, absolutely, uh, absolutely. Cautionary tales for society that we're now seeing play out in yeah. real life. We will pause once again, take a commercial break, come right back. And continue speaking with J.M. DeMatteis. Please stand by. This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. You're listening to Geek to Me Radio. As we enter our fourth segment here on Geek to Me Radio, I'd like to remind you of our other fantastic sponsor the city of st charles the greater st charles convention and visitors bureau the website is of course discover st charles.com and discover it you should there's always something new to see and do down there as historical as it is they've always got something new uh the legends and lanterns festival if you're a halloween fan my wife and i just watched hocus pocus last night and it's just one of those things i'd never seen the movie before but it makes you realize halloween is just such a fun holiday and uh, nobody does it better, in my opinion, than downtown historic St. Charles with their Legends and Lanterns Festival. It's a family-friendly event, so you don't have to think, oh, it's, it's one of those scary things or it's a haunted house type thing. No, family-friendly. The kids will love it. You can interact with different historical characters like Abigail Williams or Lizzie Borden. There's Blackbeard the Pirate uh, and Bonnie. For those of you female pirate fans, there's a mermaid you can talk to. It's a lot of fun. You get to interact with these characters 
And it's going to look a little bit different this year. They've added some new characters, but they're also doing social distancing to make sure that you feel safe, to make sure the people participating feel safe. And it's a great time for everyone. That's the last three weekends of October. Go to the website to get all the information. And once again, that website is Discover St. Charles. That's Discover stcharles.com check out the information on the website what there is to see and do and i promise you it is an historically good time our thanks to the convention and visitors bureau for being our longest running and continuous sponsor since the beginning we're chatting this entire show with jm dimateus and we were talking to him uh continuing our chat uh we just mentioned right before we went to break we're talking because he was obviously one of his first gigs was writing for the 80s twilight zone series and i said man 2020 is almost like it's been the year of a Twilight Zone episode. Yeah. I keep saying that, you know, what's going on for us now, I feel like we're in the longest, worst (laughs) Twilight Zone episode ever made. And I keep waiting for Rod Serling to step on stage and wrap this thing up so we can get on with it, you know? Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, 2020 is the typification of that. It's like anything that's like one, we got a pandemic, then we've got murder hornets. I'm like, how is this happening right now? It's been a bizarre year. That is the understatement of the century. (laughs) It has been a bizarre year and then some, yeah. And we talked last time we had you on the show, we talked extensively about uh, Justice League, your work with Keith on that, which remains one of my favorite comic book series of all times. We talked about Craven's Last Hunt. Uh, We didn't get into The Child Within, which I I feel like from what I've been seeing people talk on Twitter and uh, some of the comic book people I keep up with, that's almost found a resurgence. It's like people have suddenly just discovered uh, the Child Within story in Spectacular Spider-Man, and it's getting nearly the attention of Craven's Last Hunt used to get like 10 years ago, which has got to be very rewarding for you to have this rediscovery of this great story. It is It is very rewarding. That whole run for the on Spectacular Spider-Man that I did with uh, Sal Buscema is one of my favorite, favorite things that I've ever done. And The Child Within was the first, you know, was, was like a seven-part story um, that, that kicked that whole run off. And it kicked off the whole Harry Osborn uh, saga that we wove through those two years that ended in Spectacular Spider-Man 200 with Harry's death. Um, and, yeah, that's a very, very special story to me. And what I've seen is, yeah, more and more people uh, uh, are, seem to be discovering that run. And and the people that that knew it and loved it are speaking up a lot more. And and if I will, I will say that that they uh, are baffled, as I am, as to why it's never been collected. Yeah, I you know, uh, it's been collected in uh, just the most recent one was in Italy. I was in Italy a couple of years ago and they collected the child within in a beautiful edition. And and I believe they even included some of the other Harry stories in there with it. And it's been collected in other countries. And. I, I, it's, it's just, it's beyond me. I think, honestly, I'm very grateful to, you know, there's another, yet another new edition of Craven's Last Hunt coming out, I think sometime in the fall, which I'm very, very grateful for. That story has a life of its own and continues to live on. And I'm very proud of it, but I would love to see the child within out there. I would love to see that whole two years worth of uh, spectacular Spider-Man stories out there. You know, there are certain, certain stories of mine that really mean a lot to me uh, or certain runs on books that haven't been collected mm-hmm. that I would really, really love to see out there. And every once in a while I see something get collected of mine that I'm like, I really would have liked to have left that uncollected. <laughs> you know, Could we just have left that one alone? And then these stories that really mean so much to me, you know, at DC, I did a uh, first a miniseries with Keith Giffen, then a two year run with Sean McManus on Dr. Fate. 
And it's one of the best things I've ever done. And in terms of uh, its meaning to me personally, uh, very meaningful. Also, my Spectre run that I did at DC mm, uh, yeah. with uh, Ryan, Ryan Sook and Norm Brayfogel, those have never been collected. I would love to see those collected. Um, and, uh, and, and so, you know, Spectre, Dr. Fate, maybe those characters are a bit more obscure, but Spider-Man? Yeah, uh, that is I don't understand. And Sal Buscema at the peak of his powers, uh, just doing some of the best work of his career on that run. We just we just clicked on that book like nobody's business. I loved working with Sal, um, one of the best artists to ever pick up a pencil in this business, and one of the truly nicest men as well. So you can't ask for anything more in a collaborator, you know. Oh, and I think for for me anyway, when I, when I think of certain comic books, you're, there's always artists you strongly associate. And I think when I think of Spectacular Spider-Man, all those great covers that Sal did are just I, iconic. Um, it doesn't get any better. I, like I, for example, when I think of Amazing Spider-Man, a lot of people I'm sure think of Todd McFarlane or Eric Larson, but for Spectacular, it's always Sal. Yeah, yeah, and he was inking himself on that run too. And Sal always looks his best when he's inking himself. Um, and he, he just, like I said, I think he reached a peak on that run. That was just, just fantastic. Just fantastic. What a, what a talent. And also I see that too. I see, you know, Sal, there was a period where Sal was sort of like, Oh yeah, Sal, he's good. And he was, he was like the, the workman like guy at Marvel that you could always depend on. And I, I see so many people now that they really are, really are getting it. They really realize just what a massive talent Sal is. You know, he worked on virtually every Marvel book yeah. at one point or another. You know, classic runs on Captain America, on the Hulk, on Thor, on Spider-Man, on the Avengers. I mean, there's hardly anything he hasn't touched. And always, always a great job. And even as a fan, I remember seeing his work for the first time whenever it was, maybe when he started penciling, was it the early 70s, I guess? And uh, I think he was inking his brother on uh, Silver Surfer in the 60s before that. But I remember, it must have been the early 70s, he started, uh, he was drawing the Avengers and immediately loved his work right from the get-go, right from the get-go. And it's always fun when there are these, these people whose work you admired as a fan and then you get to work with them as a professional. You know, another great thrill I had over the years speaking to Spider-Man was getting to work with John Romita Sr. Mm. on a story story that I did in a, in a book called Web Spinners, which was a short-lived Spidey book from the 90s. And, uh, you know, the John Romita Spider-Man is, above all others, that's my Spider-Man. Yeah, you know? yeah. And to work with, with John on that and to see that after all those years, how passionate he still was about the work and how he sweated and slaved over that story. And... Um, you know, again, what a thrill to have my name in the credits with John Romita Sr. That was that was great. Same thing with Sal. And you talked about your stuff being collected. Moonshadow from Dark Horse, the definitive edition. Uh, that's I, I think that came out not too long ago, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it can, it's been out, actually, for probably came out about a year ago. Oh, has it been that long? Um, wow. But it did. It, it you know it 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 uh, it was nominated for an Eisner this year. Unfortunately, we didn't win. But it was nice to. It, it's also brought a resurgence of interest in Moonshadow as well. Moonshadow was one of the two or three, from my money, best things I've ever worked on. Um, and and it was so great to to get it back in print. Uh, you know, uh, we we originally did it for Epic Comics at Marvel. We later took it to. Uh, to Vertigo, and then we did the sequel, Farewell Moonshadow, there at Vertigo. They had it in print for a long time, then we got it back from them, 
And what Dark Horse has done is just the single most beautiful edition of Moonshadow ever. It's a beautiful hardcover. It's on great paper, great reproduction. Um, I wrote a new introduction. We have all this great stuff in the back of the book. My n- original notes, some of them hammer- handwritten scripts, hmm. uh, John J. Muth's sketches, um, just so much stuff. It's, it's just a beautiful package. I'm really, really excited about it and really, really happy uh, with with what uh, Dark Horse did with it. Philip Simon, our editor, there could have been nobody else who could have done this because Philip is, I think, maybe the biggest Moonshadow fan in the world. And he, I think he wrote a paper in college on Moonshadow. So he is passionate about it. And he, huh. he, slaved, he slaved over this book to make sure everything was exactly right. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful edition. And I was very happy to see that as soon as it came out, um, they started, Dark Horse started licensing editions all around the world. So it's, oh, it's, great. it's making its way around the world right now. And uh, that's a really great thing. And I, we always tell people, obviously, please go support your local comic book store. But with everything, a lot of uh, stores have unfortunately closed due to COVID. Are they able to get it through your website, jmdimateus.com? No, probably you'd have to go to Amazon or okay. one of these other online sellers. Uh, that's one thing I, I, I do not do. I don't really sell anything through my website. Um, maybe it's time. I don't know. <laughs> but um, but no, this, so you know, go to Amazon or go go, go find, you know, there's, there are a lot of uh, places where they specialize in collected editions, and you get them at at, at good discounts too. And um, so it's out there. And uh, but if you know if you have a local comic shop and they're open, and you're not afraid to leave your house, which I understand if you are, go support your local comic shop for sure. Absolutely. And we'll put a link it's in the gonna, show notes for uh, if they, we'll put a link. We'll find one on Amazon. Put a link in the show notes for Moonshadow. That's great. You know, it's going to be interesting to see when this is all over where comic shops are. How many, just like just like so many other businesses right now, how many are going to survive, and how many are not going to come back after this? Yeah, there's that was a down, that was a downer, wasn't it? <laughs> but, <you know. laughs> no, we won't end there. That's fine. We won't end there. I know. No, I know okay. we're closing in on the time that I, I have the window I have for you, but we won't close there. We'll close out on high notes. We'll take our last break. Come back and wrap it up here on Geek to Me Radio. Please stand by. And as we come back and wrap up our conversation with J.M. Dimitaeus, uh, I, I thought I had a little less time than I did, but he was very gracious with his time. And I'm, I'm going to go out on a high note. We're going to ask one last question. Uh, I know our time is coming to an end. So uh, while we probably could go on for another hour, I do appreciate your coming back on well, the show for have, a second if, time. If you, have, if you have one last question or something, I'm happy to answer it. And if you don't, we'll go on our merry way. I'll, I'll do one last question then. You've written a lot of uh, animated episodes from Young Justice, Thundercats, Batman, Brave and the Bold, Legion of Superheroes, uh, even for the Superboy TV series that was on in the late 80s, early 90s. If you had to take a Mount Rushmore and put these are my top four projects for TV, be the animated or live action that I've written, what would be your Mount Rushmore of projects? That I've done personally? Yes. Well, that's interesting. That's a really good question. Well, I'll, animated-wise, I have to say that Death Short was a highlight. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, let me also say, I've really enjoyed um, all this stuff. You, you said Young Justice. I think you meant Justice League Unlimited, but that's yes, I'm okay. Sorry. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, Justice League Unlimited, 
which was really I had done a couple of animated things before then, but it wasn't like something I did with any regularity. Justice League Unlimited was the show that opened me up to a career in animation. And what a fantastic show. One of the best versions, one of the very best versions of the Justice League in any medium, as good as the best comic book run and better than most, you know. Absolutely. Um, So I I loved working on that show. I loved working on Batman Brave and the Bold. That show was so much fun. Uh, Of the the animated movies, again, I've enjoyed them all, but I really especially enjoyed working on Constantine's City of Demons. It was just one of those projects where something, kind of like the Death Project, where something clicked and something very magical happened with it, and I'm very, very proud of that movie. Um, But I've been lucky. You know, just about everything I've worked on has been, you know, a quality project. Working with people that I really uh, admire and respect, um, you know, like I did those couple of Batman movies I did, and, and and now Deathstroke and Red Sun. I mean, these are these are great projects. But of course, there there are always going to be the ones that resonate with us in a, in a special way. So, animation wise, I would say uh, uh, Justice League Unlimited, uh, Brave and the Bold, Constantine, City of Demons, and the Death Death Short. And you mentioned the live action Superboy show. Um, that was a lot of fun. Um, it was a lot of fun for two reasons. One, I, I wrote about five episodes during their final season. I also worked on staff for a period of time for their final season. Hmm. Uh, I, I made some some really good friends working on that show, including Stan Berkowitz, oh, who yeah. was the guy who, who went on uh, to this great Emmy-winning career in animation and who brought me on board for Justice League Unlimited. Um, so that was that was a wonderful show, and and I and it's a show that a lot of people don't even know exists. You know, uh, it's it, it's it's sort of really really under the radar. But I think the first two seasons of that show were more kitty oriented. They were more more for a younger audience. And then Stan took over. I think in the third season, uh, I worked on the fourth season. So and he really changed that show and 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 raised raised it up to a whole different kind of show. And I'm very happy with most of the episodes that I did for that show. There was a one one two parter that I did on that show uh, called Know Thine Enemy. And it was a Lex Luthor story. And I don't, if you know the show, Lex Luthor on that show was played by a guy named Sherman Howard, who is one of the best Lex Luthers ever, any medium, any time. He was brilliant as Luthor. Hmm. And the premise, the premise of the show was Luthor is about to do something horrible. He's about to basically unleash nuclear devastation on the world. And Superboy's trying to find some key to unlock Luthor's psyche to stop him. And they discover that Luthor has recorded all his memories on these what we call psycho discs. So Superboy jacks into this thing and Superboy essentially lives out um, Luther's dysfunctional childhood. And we see everything that happened to Luther to make him into the person that he is now. And, and especially we focus on his, the one loving relationship in his childhood, which is the relationship with his sister. And it's really, really a two part, two part story turned out great. A story that I'm really, really proud of. And, um, I don't know. I don't know if it's streaming on the DC Universe app or not. Um, I know you can get it. Uh, Apple, you know, with Apple, the Apple TV streaming stuff. It's the Superboy is on there, and I and I I think it's out there in a few other places. It, I don't know if it's on Amazon, but it's worth seeking out because it's a fun show. And uh, and they did aside from my own episodes, uh, uh, especially in Stan's regime, they did some really really uh, memorable episodes of that show. 
So, so, uh, so yeah, yeah. And so to, to finalize the whole TV movie thing with one other thing, the, the other thing that would probably go on my Mount Rushmore is the first thing that I ever sold to bring us back to where we started, which was uh, the Twilight Zone, the 80s Twilight Zone. Yeah. That was, the, that was the first TV script I ever sold. And not necessarily that I did such a brilliant job and it's such a classic episode, which, you know, it's a good episode, but I don't think it's one of the great Twilight Zones of all time or anything. But for me, it was a thrill on two levels because, one, I got to sell my first TV script and fly out to L.A. and watch them film it. So that was like that was an, ex- an experience I will never forget. And two, it was the Twilight Zone. You know, <laughs> it may have been a different version, but what a great thing to say the first thing I ever sold on television was an episode of the Twilight Zone. Now, do you ever say that to people and they look at you and like, well, you don't look that old. Not right, realizing. right. <laughs> yeah, you have to qualify it. No, I was like, you know, uh, no, I wasn't able to even write probably when the Twilight Zone <laughs> was so, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so so there's my, there's my TV slash movie Mount Rushmore of my work. Perfect. And we want to remind people again, the website is just your name, jmdmateus.com. You can still sign up for those Imagination 101 workshops, hopefully in uh, November or December when they come up. Uh, you will put a link for getting Moonshadow, the definitive edition. And obviously, very excited. We're going to do a giveaway for a Blu-ray copy of Deathstroke, Knights and Dragons. Oh, cool. Very so, cool. So uh, very, very appreciative of your time. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And hopefully, once conventions start up again, I'll be able to uh, see you again at a convention. That would be great. That would really be great. I think we all need it, don't we? We do. <laughs> the virtual things are nice, but it's just, like you said, it's that community. It's not the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I like to I like to meet people face to face and talk to them and shake their hand. It's a nice thing. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate your time today. Enjoy the rest of your week and we will hopefully you talk too. to you again very soon. Take good care. You too. That's gonna do it. Thanks once again to JMD Mateus. Thank you again to our sponsors, Marcus Theaters and Historic St. Charles, discoverstcharles.com. Thank you to Joey V, as always, making this show sound as good as it does. And be sure if you are a Patreon, if you have not signed up for the geek to me Radio Patreon, make sure you do sign up because as a Patreon, you get the unedited full show. Sometimes I have to trim these down because my conversations are a little bit longer than I'm able to fit into a time frame. So go to Patreon, seek out geek to me Radio, become a Patreon of the show, and you will get the full unedited episode from start to finish. And with that, I take my leave of you. Until next week, my friends. It's not in the way. I sound be It's not in the way you watch the flash It's not in the way you love Scotty Young Art It's not in the way you play Mario Kart It's not in the way you look when you make him a throw trap and says That's a show This is Geek Turn Thank you, Twilight Zone. Good night. Hi, this is James Enstall, host of Geek Me Radio, and in honor of my favorite Themyserian, I've decided to become an Amazon warrior. Harrod, give me strength. The next time you want to buy something from Amazon, go to geektomeradio.com first and click on our Amazon affiliate link. Simply shop like you normally would, and when you check out, a small percentage will go towards supporting the show. So remember, the next time you want to search Amazon for the latest Wonder Woman graphic novel or parts for your invisible jet... 
click through from geek 2 me radio.com first the world was in peril would you have me stand by and do nothing 